All right, Grizz Nation, we are here with another episode of Fight on Montana. Uh, we have the special, special guest here with us today, Colter Nuanez with Skyline Sports, uh, ESPN Montana Radio. Colter, can't thank you enough for coming on and, and spending some time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, excited to talk with you and uh, meet your audience. Thanks for having me. Uh, guys, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast as uh, you always do, but uh, find us there. Uh, what we're going to do is just kind of do a recap of the year so far and then get into the uh, Northern Colorado matchup. So, um, you know, Coulter, one thing I wanted to kind of talk to you about is, you know, going into the beginning of this year, what were your expectations knowing what the Grizz had coming back? What were you thinking this year was going to be? Such an interesting question because I thought last year, for as talented as the Grizz were, the, the lofty expectations and sort of the way that they they had this whole plan. Their whole plan was they're going to go 6-0 and before the Sac State game, and they were going to go down to Sacramento State, we're going to get revenge, and then we're going to be rolling. And that all got derailed basically with one onsides kick to start the second half against Idaho, and then all of a sudden they lose that game, and whoa, everything didn't go according to plan. And then Lucas Johnson gets knocked out, and then it spirals, and all of a sudden – the weight of these crazy expectations is just bearing down on them. And I thought that was one of the main reasons why you saw Montana sort of unravel. And they did get it together a little bit. They won two games in November and then, of course, won a playoff game. But, I mean, it didn't go even close to according to plan. I mean, last year was supposed to be Montana's year. The RTD, the return to dominance, was supposed to come to fruition. You know, it's, it's Coach Houck sending his son out with a national championship and all these huge, you know, lofty expectations with all these All-Americans all over the roster. So I thought, though, the removal – I mean, Montana's always going to have high expectations. Yeah. That's just that's just how it is. They're always going to have – I mean, that's like my brother and I always say on our Big Sky Breakdown podcast. The whole lens through which we analyze all of this is that it's national championship or bust. It's true playoff runs, final fours, and national championship or bust if you're Montana, period. But I did think, you know, coming into the year – not being picked to win the league, not having all these All-Americans all over the place. Uh, I thought maybe that actually might cater to the Grizz because, I mean, Luke knows this as somebody that played at Montana. Like, sometimes your most fearsome opponent is yourself yeah. and the weight of expectations, the standard. Because, I mean, you got to live in Missoula. When the Grizz lost to NAU, it's like the world is ending. You know, and you have tens of thousands of people that are freaking out. But yeah. that's what makes it great, right? Because then, you know, when you win and you have a three-game winning streak, then everybody's loving it. All of a sudden, the Grizz are back to being conference contenders and all this sort of stuff. So I thought that coming into this year, they had a, a chance to actually be a little bit better just because I thought they were going to be more even defensively. I thought that I knew they were going to adjust a lot of stuff on their back end. Because mm -hmm. let's be honest, I mean, you, you know, you can say whatever you want about Robbie Howe. He's a great player. Oh, yeah. He's an incredibly productive player. But he runs the alley as well as anybody. He was their third linebacker in that scheme for a really long time. Yeah. I thought, okay, you remove him. Now the safeties can play a little bit more traditional roles. You don't have Justin Ford. Okay, now you can run some combo coverages, some actual zone on the back end. And, oh, by the way, you expect to have multiple senior starters on your offensive line. So I thought, you know, I thought coming into the year, I actually thought Montana had a chance to be better than they were a year ago. Then out the gates, it was like, oh, wow, maybe not. Maybe they just don't have the horses, but that's completely changed, and that's why just the mania of, of the Grizz roller coaster is so fun to, to be a part of because uh, it's definitely been a, a lot of different opinions about this team are only six or seven games in. Yeah. 
Roller coaster is a good description of the team because, <laughs> and 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 not to mention the fans' emotions, like you were saying. I mean, after that NAU game, it was like when I mean, there's people I was talking to who thought the season was over. They're like, "We'll be sure. like in another damn game." And yeah, it's uh, it's amazing the flip that we've had, especially on that offensive line because that was their worst game, and I think this Idaho game may have been their best game. They were they were out there just dominating and. Um, like we talked last spot, whoever motivated old Hunter McGinnis this last game. I mean, when he's driving people out of bounds and they're ripping his helmet off, it's like it's it's very refreshing. Totally. And I mean, what we saw at Northern Arizona, I think, was was startling to so mm-hmm. many people that follow Grizz football. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you go lay an egg on the road. Okay, that happens in college football every single week. Even the best of the best, you know, with the exception of Georgia, because they're a pro team. They're never going to lose again, I don't I don't think. But right. besides that, I mean, I mean, look at Washington. Washington has this great win over Oregon, and then, you know, they come all the way down the wire, and they barely win this last week. You, you just never know when you're going to fall flat. It's not that uncommon to have a, a poor performance on the road. I think that it was so startling, that Northern Arizona game, because not only did the Grizz get completely outplayed and have so many different miscues and turnovers, yeah. they also played terrible on special teams. That's like a once in an entire career occurrence for a Bobby Howe team to right. get completely wiped in the kick game. And not only did they have complete, they weren't they were lacking continuity on the offensive line, but they were also lacking effort on defense. Nobody was in the right spot. I mean. The Grizz have lost games before under Coach Houck. They've never been that disorganized and that lacking of passion. So I think Grizz fans were like, what's going on? Yeah. Did, yeah. He, did these guys did, – did, did Coach Houck lose the team? Did, did these guys just not have the horses? Is this like doomsday scenario? And then they completely flipped it. And I think, I think, there's, I think there's three factors that go into it. One, and I know the coaching staff's been getting a bunch of credit, and we'll get to them in just a minute. But I think truly being around these guys – the senior group on this team, Levi Janicaro and yeah. Alex Gubner and AJ Forbes and Tyler Flink and Braxton Hill and Trajan Cotton, you know, can go on and on and on. Garrett Graves, Nash Fouch. These guys were like, we're not going out like that. This, this yeah. is not how it's going to work. Yeah. We're not going out like that. That was our worst performance of our careers. We're not doing that again. So kudos to those guys for staying in it. Then the coaching staff, though, too. They finally decided to pick a quarterback who could actually be a leader. And they decided to actually adjust their offense. I mean, that's the thing that's been so maddening is last year they yeah, had all yeah. these offensive problems and they wouldn't adjust offensively at all. Yeah. Well, they completely ran a new offense for the last two games. So yeah. kudos to them for doing that and doing it to you know get their playmakers the stuff in space. And I think the third, though, I think that they've, they've come together and I think that they've done the correct adjustments up front. They got some guys back on the defensive line, which helps so much. Yeah, But also they've been running these wide splits on the offensive line. And I think that they realized, hey – we're not like a pass pro team. We're not going to be able to form a pocket and do all this stuff. But if we get our linemen in space and move them around a little bit, okay, we might be a little bit better like that. So I, I give them all the credit in the world for the adjustments they've made, especially on the offensive line. Because I, I don't know, I don't know why there's a disconnect there. I don't know why they can't just do traditional pass protection, right. but they can't. But yeah. they can, but they can totally get out in space and block in the screen game and all that stuff. So I think that. The adjustments they've made, but more importantly, the heart of the seniors has been the thing that really has helped them turn the corner. Well, and, you know, Coulter, um, you've said on your podcast, Nuana's Now, uh, great, great, great show, radio show. If you guys haven't listened to it, go listen to it. It's it's amazing. Um, but you've said on there that the tradition of uh, the Montana football, um, that you've said that, that that's kind of gotten in, in the way of it taking that next step. 
you know, we, we've seen some great steps, but do you see that tradition still playing an effect in possibly long-term su- successful? Because right now, yeah, that's it's great and all, but we've got – we've still got to win, what? Luke, we've told uh, two games at least. Yeah, two we games and we, we need we two did, more if, games. If you count Northern Colorado and Portland State as wins. Wins, right. yeah. We have to get um, those two, and then it would be nice if we could grab one of the other ones too, but – so, yeah, yeah I, I think they got to win three out of four just because I yeah. think that the playoff committee is going to hold that D2 against them. So I, okay. I, I think I, the way I, that to truly right. do it is to win three out of four. I was okay. I was seeing something that they were saying there's going to be a ton, like the most seven-win teams ever left out of the playoffs this year is what they're, is what they're thinking. So, um, yeah, I think you're right on, Coulter. I think we need to win three more to, to yeah. guarantee a spot. So, you know, that tradition, whole athletic department, right, sure. uh, women's basketball, uh, men's basketball, um, you know, the great athletic department right now or, or great sport right now is soccer, which has had that that athletic ability and that that tradition. But it, it got in their way for one year. And then look at this year. They, they've redone some things and, and they've, you know, created a great program again. Where do we get to the fact of where, where does that go? Like, how do we fix that? Is that a mindset? Does that come from the top? Does that come from the athletic director? Where do we go? It's such a, such an interesting point, too. Because I mean, I've talked with Brian Holsinger about this a lot, the Lady Grizz head coach, because he says, you know, how can you not honor Robin Selvig at every turn, right? I mean, I was at the Macklemore concert at the at the Adams Center the other uh, week, and Macklemore is sitting there pointing about all the banners. He's like, man, you guys are pretty good at women's basketball. It's like, <laughs> yeah, there's about 40 banners up there. Uh, they won quite a bit. So, I mean – how do you embrace that, but then not let it overshadow you and just sort of overwhelm the entire narrative of your athletic department? Yeah, Gris Soccer is a great example. I think that one thing that maybe some of the the um, the coaches that have such deep Montana ties, like Bobby Houck and Travis DeCure, I think one thing that they've had a hard time grappling with and grasping is that so much of playing for the Grizz used to be about like being overlooked and underrated and chip on your shoulder and you're going to school in this tiny little mountain town that nobody's ever heard of except for because of the football team. I mean, Missoula and Bozeman are on the map now. I mean, people know about these towns and it isn't like, I used to always ask all the recruits, what'd you think of Montana before you came on a visit? You know, and they're like, Oh, I thought I was going to a one horse town. You know, everybody's going to be riding their horse to school and all that stuff. You know, that's, that's not it anymore. Missoula and Bozeman are, I mean, those are, they're urban areas now. I mean, I know that they're, you know, it's not some huge city, but they've been very uh, urbanized. There's, you know, it, it's a cosmopolitan lifestyle in Missoula in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, you know, we see that in the cost of living and all the things there are to do. And I mean, you go downtown now, it used to be like in the summer, every, everywhere would be dead, right? Because all the students were, were gone. Now it's not dictated like that at all. You go downtown, everywhere's busy. You know, it's they're catering way more to people like me in their mid-30s than they are the college <laughs> kids. So I think that's part of it, but that's where the soccer team has been so great is Chris Chudovitsky says, hey, we got this great tradition. We got these banners. We got this home field advantage. We got all this stuff. But also, why not just go recruit the best of the best? Why not just say, hey, we're going to go heads up with everybody because Missoula, Montana is freaking sweet. Let's get everybody to come here. I mean, they just landed a commitment from the number one prospect in the entire Northwestern United States. This girl's a top 25 recruit in the country. She's on the United States national team. Like, this girl is going to be the best – I mean, she's the biggest recruit the Big Sky Cowards has ever seen. Yeah. And they just sold her on, hey, Missoula is a sweet place to live. Montana is a great place to go to school, and we're really good. So come 
you know, be a part of something special. I was thinking about that when it comes to the football team because Bobby Houck's formula is – his schemes are way different than the first time around, but his formula is completely unchanged. Yeah. He wants it to be all about discipline, hard work, toughness. Those values are unbreakable. I mean, those values are why he's such a popular coach even though he is a, you know, he's bristly in the media and, you know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't give it up like a lot of coaches do. He's still so popular because he, he represents like the ethos of Montana, right? Like right. what his teams play so on brand for what you think Montana would be like. But you look at like the guys that he got out of the state of Montana the first time around with his exact same formula. I mean, the, the best players in the state of Montana now are five nine slot receivers from Billings, like yeah, Junior Bergen right. and Taco Dowler and Gabe Solser. Yeah, they're yeah. not they're not future second round draft picks like Lex Hilliard, and you know guys are going to go start in the NFL on the defensive line like Croy Beerman. Yeah, so the formula is a little different. I also think that Coach Alki got so much credit for all the walk ons he brought in the first time around, but he would manipulate those guys so much and say, hey. We're going to give you a third of the scholarship three different ways. Whoever becomes an all-conference player first, you're getting a scholarship. And then he would always bring in a transfer to battle those guys in their position groups. Well, first of all, the transfers used to have to sit out a year. So they'd have to acclimate to the team for a full year before they got anything handed to them. And second, Montana kids, they used to live in this little bubble. There was no knowledge of what was going on anywhere else. Now it's so much easier for kids to quit, to transfer, all Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. So you just wonder – how many guys just got left in the wash or, you know, whatever, and they didn't get to develop into what they were going to become. I mean, he'll forget. Like, Chase Reynolds was toiling away as, like, a ninth-string wide receiver until yeah, – It sure was. Then, and then one day, boom, three guys get hurt, and they're like, shoot, we need a running back. And yeah. they put this guy in, and it's like, oh, that guy's the best running back in Montana history besides probably Lex Hilliard. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, I just – I don't know if Montana's producing the same type of guys. To answer the question, though, Adam, I mean, I think it just comes down to – truly believing in what you what you know you got in Missoula and the university and all that sort of stuff and the fans of the tradition, you can embrace it and still also do it from a new age model, right? Like if I'm Montana, yeah. I'm offering every single big time guy in the Northwestern United States. Yeah. yeah, You might only get five out of 100, 10 out of 100. You're still getting 10 out of 100. Right. Like why not do that? That's what Jeff Choate did so well at Montana State and it's still paying dividends now. That's why the Bobcats are so talented. Well, when you, you look at like Mountain West teams, right? And you can't tell me that, you know, and I, and I live in Wyoming and, and I, Wyoming compared to Missoula is, is right. I don't think it is even close. Totally. Uh, Air Force, it's, it's around them in, you know, Denver and stuff, but like what Mountain West team is going to be better than Montana? Probably San right. Diego State because they're in California, uh, maybe Boise State because sure. of the tr- tradition that they have there. But, all those other other places, you can go and battle those teams for offensive linemen where we've been hurting. Yeah. And the the thing that has been told to us is that the well, you know, offensive linemen don't grow on trees. Well, everybody else is able to get those guys, except for us. And so it, is it something like with recruiting? Are we not and you said it, you know, we're not probably going after the guys that we should because we're trying to get, you know, transfers and stuff like that. But it just seems like we just need to renovate what we're doing a little bit to like the new age where, you know, going after those guys, like you said. So um, I, one question that I had and Luke, you can kind of go into it is like how, if you were to give our offensive line a grade, what, what, what would you say? Cause like the last couple of games, they've been better, right? Yeah. Idaho has been, been amazing. Um, 
But overall, of a span of seven games, what kind of a grade would you give them? Man, I'm I'm giving them like a like an 82. Okay. So I'd be like, that's like, a, that's like a B or a B minus. That's right? what I was thinking, B minus. Yeah. 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 And then, like, let's talk like NCAA tur- or NCAA video game ratings, right? <laughs> you, go, you go down the line. Like, I'd say, I'd say Chris Walker's like a seventy nine. He's got crazy upside, but he's just not that polished at the position. Right. Yeah. Both your guards are probably in the mid seventies. You know, depending on who you're playing in there, whether it's Journey Grimsrud or Liam Brown or Cannon Panfalov. McGinnis is a, like a 92 when right. he has his head on straight. And I thought he played like a 95 on Saturday. Yeah, he did. But then he also can play like a 65 when he's, you know, not blocking <laughs> him, when, you know, yeah. walking off the field. I do think, though, they did a good job of turning him around because I yeah. think that that was, uh, yeah, that's something where you can lose a guy. And I mean, he's he's one of their five most talented players. So you, you need him to stay in it. They got him back in it. And then Brandon Casey's probably like an 80. So, yeah. you know, that's the thing is they've gotten better on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty okay on the offensive line. But to get where you want to go, I mean, look at the best teams in the country. I mean, Montana State's got the best offensive line in the country. South Dakota State's got the second best offensive line in the country. Yeah. You know, I mean, Idaho had a good offensive line, and they lost two guys, one before the Montana game, one in the Montana game. And look what happens. Their quarterback gets sacked six times. He's running for his life. So, you know, it, it is, it's such an important spot. And it's so interesting to me because you think – Okay, you got multiple guys that had FBS offers or played at FBS schools, right? You got two mm-hmm. Big Ten dropdowns. You got a kid in Brandon Casey who they beat Oregon State straight up yeah. to get him. Yeah. And, you know, and then you got these other guys. I mean, Liam Brown was a highly recruited guy. So then does it come down to development? Is it a scheme thing? Where are we at? And, you know, I think part of it is that they know that they've gotten better. I don't know if they evaluate externally enough to, to understand where they sit. Like, like they they have – I'd say they probably have one of the, I don't know, 12 or 14 best offensive lines in the country, but you're in the Big Sky Conference. Yeah. yeah. You probably have the fifth best offensive line in the league, even though you still probably have a top 10 unit in the country. Right. Yeah. right. It's a huge yeah. disconnect, right? Like, Sac State's got all these senior guys on the offensive line. Weber does too. I know Weber's struggling this year, but it, I, I guess it, it's just perplexing to me because we've analyzed it so much. And you'd think that this was the year they were going to be truly dominant, and they just – they've been good – but not great, not exceptional, and not dominant. Yeah, not yeah. dominant. And that's what a lot of people thought at the beginning of the year. It was like, oh, that's a spot we don't have to worry about. I was saying the same thing. And then it was like, oh, wait, maybe we do have to worry about it. But I do feel in these last two weeks, they've put a fire under them, and they're all playing better. But we yeah. noticed, too, when they were jumping back and forth between Clifton and Vidlak, you know, like you were saying earlier, Coulter, they are straight up pass block, and they sucked. And oh, they, that's basically what they were doing with Vidlak. And then all of a sudden you'd see him playing way better for Clifton because they're really run blocking and play action pass blocking and stuff. So having see, him it, in bo- there, it bothers me because I could see Vidlak, I could see Vidlak doing some of the th- same things that McDowell does. Maybe not to the to the point where he's going out and running, you know, 18 times a game. But, you know, some of the schemes that they run, I think that he could run those. And it, it's, it's just perplexing that, that they don't do that. Yeah, the other part that's just it's lacking is college football in its essence now in 2023 is all about making kids make mistakes. I mean, it, it really it really is what it's about. It's about yeah. getting guys in space and making this guy make a mistake, miss a tackle here, you know, blow a coverage there. Right. And like if you watch what the cats do, I think there's this huge misperception. Because the cats certainly grind people down, they grind them into dust. Yeah. 
but they don't do it by just firing off the ball and blowing you off the ball. They beat you to the spot and then let their guys run to space. They use their athleticism so well. Like every once in a while, they'll put their hands in the dirt and really just fire off and you know run an inside zone play and get some yards, whatever. But mostly, they're just beating you to a spot. They're 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 shielding you, and then boom, their running backs are so fast they can just get to space. That's where I wonder if the Grizz stuff is just too archaic. I mean, what they're running? You're an old, old offensive lineman, Luke. Like what I watch is they're running they're running true like 1998 Mike Shanahan Denver Broncos zone blocking, right? Yeah. This pair here and this threesome here. We're moving this way or this way. And I really think that they just – it's all predicated on physicality. Who's going to get off the ball? Who's going to you know be tougher? You don't necessarily have to do that in college football anymore. Mm-hmm. You just have to beat people to a spot and let your running backs run in space. That's one thing they've done so well, though. They've widened the splits now, and they're letting these guys get out a little bit. They're running these screen plays. And I also think that – I think the, the offensive line was having a really hard time with the two-quarterback thing. Because you yeah. don't know if you're trying to block for a guy who's running around all crazy back there, if you're blocking for a guy that's just holding the ball and standing in the pocket. I think just making the decision to go with McDowell has really helped him. Yeah. I, I think that's really helped him a lot. And I, I was saying this during the Idaho State game. At the very end when he had his helmet got knocked off and McDowell pops up and he's all fired up, I was like, okay, finally we've got a guy that's wanting to lead this team, kind of like when Sneed took over. And so I think that's a big part of it too. I feel like I feel the leadership out of McDowell when he's out there um, for the offense. And so I feel like he's just taken over because of that. Muted myself on accident. <laughs> uh, no, I totally, I totally agree with you. And the other thing that's so interesting, and I've thought about this with Grizz basketball so much, mm-hmm. Travis DeCure is, he is a hard ass coach, right? Yeah. And he, he's going to, if he wants to challenge you as one of his players, takes you out of the game, gets in your face, just rips you to shreds and then, and then wants to like re-release you out there with some energy. Well, when he had guys like Ahmad Rory and Saeed Pridget, you know, I mean, he used to get into a Saeed Pridget so bad, they would just be screaming at each other. And then he'd go let Saeed Pridget back in the game and Saeed Pridget would go score four straight buckets. Yeah. They responded so well to it. That's where, you know, Coach Houck, when he had Dalton Sneed, mm-hmm. Sneed's that type of guy. You go back and forth, you're screaming at each other. It's all good. Either you let him back out there. Well, then, you know, Cam Humphrey's the nicest guy in the world. I mean, he's like right. been student body president or whatever, but, like, he's he's not a fiery guy. He's just chilling all the time, right? Lucas Johnson, just cool as a cucumber. Yeah. You know, California yeah. cool. You know, Chris Brown, he has a hard time with all that, too. You can tell so much that McDowell, it's, it's so clear, like, he grew up in the high school football systems where he was used to that. And, like, when you watch him on the sidelines, Coach Hauk will be grabbing him by the face mask, and he's just, yep. Yep, yep, not flustered at all. And then he goes back out there and he's ready to roll. And I, I really think that that too just, you know, like I always say on my radio show, the talent of your quarterback, the, his ability to execute, that's important. Yeah. The confidence he engenders your team yep. with is more important. Yep, I if agree. you're going to be a defensive minded team, that's what these guys want. Like, I think that's what was happening at NAU. I think the defense was just like, man, we can't make any more plays. Like, what? Yeah. Why, you know, and this guy can't get rid of the ball. He's getting sacked every other play, and then he's throwing picks when he's actually getting the ball off. What What are we doing? Yeah. Now they got McDowell who can get them fired up. He can hit the big shot when they need it. I, I just think it's been a, a wholesale benefit for the team. Oh, yeah. Like the last game when he stiff-armed that guy, I mean, you can see the whole team just going nuts for it. He gets them all fired up. So I agree with what you're what you said there, Coulter. Like if, if you're out there and he gets – he plays like – 
that defensive mentality that they have on the defense too, it gets the whole team fired up. And that's what that's what they needed. And it's it's working right now. I mean, it works in college football so much. I, I think a lot of times our brains get skewed when we try to analyze between college and the NFL. Yeah. They're just two such different sports. I mean, Tim Tebow couldn't throw the ball to save his life. He won two national championships and won the Heisman because his team wanted to play for him, right? Yep. Absolutely. Like that, that, that's what it takes sometimes, and I think that that's why McDowell, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to regret not going with him earlier because, I mean, truly they only lost one game, yeah. And, yeah, and they were experimenting with all this different stuff. But, I mean, now – the proof's in the pudding. It doesn't matter how many yards he's thrown for or anything like that. I mean, he's four as a starter, and everybody has a lot of confidence in him. Yep, exactly. Uh, so, you, you know, we got we got the Idaho game. Uh, you were at Idaho for that game, right? I was. Yeah, I was on the, I was on the sideline, which was uh, which was cool. It was uh, it was fascinating to be down there. That's awesome. <laughs> it's like one of their first like sellouts in like thirty years or something like that. That was crazy atmosphere for the student or student section and also for Montana. It, have you ever heard of a home team switching where they have their sections to kind of throw off the other opponent? I mean, what a grave error on Idaho's part. <laughs> yeah. Big I mean, they thought it was going to get into Montana's head and it did not at all. Anything I thought, against them. Yeah. I, oh, it definitely did. I mean, I thought it was hilarious too, because <laughs> You know, this day and age, I sometimes get so frustrated because I think that, like, we have a hard time letting adolescents be adolescents. Like, yeah, yeah, you don't let kids freak out at games anymore, and you don't want them swearing or drinking or whatever. And it's like sometimes that's just – you got to do it to just get it out of your system or whatever. I, that's what was one part that was so fascinating about this. First of all, they sell beer in the stadium at the Kibbe Dome. Yep. And, and they let you bring it straight down to your seat. So the whole wow. student section, everybody's got two tall boys and they're drinking and <laughs> nobody's cares. Nobody cares, right? right? And I know, you know, their student section is just going crazy. You know, F the Grizz, F the Grizz. Oh, and, yeah. and the Grizz are chanting back at them. And I also thought it was awesome that Coach Houck did not try to regulate it at all. He was not like, don't pay attention to that, nothing. He, he just let them go. Just yeah. said, if you yeah. want. So there, there was a whole dialogue going on. People are talking back and forth. And every time the Grizz would make a play, play they come off the field and talk about it was like such old school it, it was like it was like being in 1995 or something like that it was, <laughs> it was it was awesome it was awesome to watch but i think it was a grave error on idaho's part because it did not deter montana whatsoever I, in fact i think it was a huge advantage for the grizz yeah i know like yeah. uh, when, uh who was it was it kyle that posted that video or was it uh i can't remember which one posted it maybe it was sean of them chanting the f the grizz and stuff and like you could see the players, they were already going like, "Yeah, come on, keep bringing it to us." And I was like, "Oh boy, it's just fueling those guys." And that's, and if I would, if I was on that side, I'd do the same thing. It's just like, "All right, we're gonna shut you guys up right now and fuel them." Well, one of the hardest parts Montana's had with this the, the this new age player. So, sometimes they have a really hard time translating the energy when they go on the road. Right, they're always up for home games, but then they have a hard time when they go on the road. Well, th this time it wasn't hard for them on the road at all because it was a sellout. It was just like playing a Washington Grizz, and in fact, it was probably motivating to have everybody cheering against you. Yeah, absolutely, exactly. exactly. Uh, Luke, you have any other questions before we go into the UNC preview? Or I have, I guess I have one. Yeah, uh, I've always just wanted to ask you this, Coulter, because I've, I've had the opportunity of hanging out with uh, Marty one time at Paradise Falls <laughs> last year. For a little bit and um like i absolutely love marty on the call and just love him on your show and stuff and so just wanted to just uh, hear your thoughts on marty and how great a football mind he is well first of all he's just 
such a, a wonderful guy. I mean, I always, I always tease. I lost my dad ten years ago, and I always tell Coach Marty, "You're my replacement, Dad, man. Like you could be my dad anytime." Uh, he's just, he's such a good dude, and he's such a great family man. I mean, talk about inspiring, you know, to work a life in football and still have such a close bond with your wife and your four kids, and you know, they all spend so much time together still, and. It's it's so hard to do when you're working this industry. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're a coach or a player or you're in the media, whatever. It's just long hours. Your weekends are eating up all the time. So it's just really hard. And so that part is just – I just love about it. But also it's just – I mean, like today, we were breaking down all the motions that the Miami Dolphins run in their offense. And, you know, we're talking about the, the, the brotherly shove, and he's breaking yeah. that whole thing down. And, you know, and then he's dropping how he talked to Lamar Jackson after they lost to Pittsburgh and – this is crazy. I'm from Missoula, Montana. Here I got, I got this guy that coached Brett Favre and right. Steve Young and Lamar Jackson on my radio show every week. It's just incredible. Nuts. And I think it's so awesome that he loves to do it just for the people of Montana. So, yeah, no, it's uh, he, the best part about Marty is he like he's like that all the time. He's just yeah. so entertaining. Like, he'll give you the tour of his house and it's entertaining. Same way. He's still just talking just like that. <laughs> he's, he's, he's so awesome. He's such, he's a, I mean, I, I think he's a national treasure. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> The fact that he's like comes on your show and does all that stuff. And like, you're absolutely right. When I ran into P falls last year, I was just like, Hey coach. And he's like, Hey, how are you doing? We just started shot the shit for a little bit. And it was so just a great, great he's like the Dick Vitale of the gridiron. It's, it's, it's (laughs) awesome. Yeah, no, I love it. It, He, it makes time for everybody too, right? Like I got three young guys that all work for me that are like producing my show and stuff. And they call various other sports and stuff. And he always makes sure to go in there and, and tell them a story you know, just so they feel special. That's and, awesome. uh, yeah, no, he's the man, dude. Marty's, Marty's awesome. Very That's cool. awesome. Well, Coulter, uh, you, you got Northern Colorado this week, you know, zero and seven or zero and four in the conference, you know, they, they haven't played terribly bad. If you look at their, their schedule, you know, the first three games, you know, uh, Abilene Christian 11 to 31 and Carnet word seven to 42. And then Washington state, they got blown up by 43 some points, but, you look at their big sky conference, you know, they lost 14 points to Idaho state, which doesn't look like a too bad of a loss now. Um, Cause Idaho state's what three and one um, and Weber state, you know, they had that game until the last what four minutes and they lost on an interception ran back uh, state, you know, they lost by eight there and Cal Poly. That's probably the only bad loss. Cause I think Cal Poly is probably one of the worst teams in the big sky. Yeah. Um, but where where do we put UNC? Should we be worried? You know, they're coming into uh, Washington Grizz. Are, are we going to be looking at Sac State the next week? Is it something in this UNC team that we should be worried about? Well, they're certainly going to be well coached. I mean, Ed Lamb is a guy that's had a lot of success in the Big Sky Conference. I, I got to know Coach Lamb really well when he was at Southern Utah. And when we first launched Skyline Sports – that was sort of 2014-2015 was such a weird time in the big sky because the Grizz were in this state of flux. You know, Mick yeah. Delaney was about to be on the way out. The uh, the Cats were a total mess. Rob Ash was on the hot seat and then unceremoniously fired. And so there was like this vacuum of this opportunity for other teams to rise. And so like that first year of Skyline in 2015 – Portland State and Southern Utah were the two the two best teams in the league. And yeah. d- just lucky enough for us, nobody else covers them either. So it was like worth our time and resources to to cover them quite a bit. 
And you know, Eastern Washington was, of course, you know, rolling right that right then and there too with Cooper Cup mm-hmm. and Kendrick Bourne and all those guys. But um, Coach Lamb, I'm so interested to see. He did as good a job. I always think this in the Big Sky. You have to do two. You have to you have to identify and accentuate the strengths and advantages that your your university and your program just intrinsically has, and you got to mitigate this, the disadvantages of those things, right? Southern Utah, their disadvantages are they're in a you know fifteen thousand person town. It's a dry county, so like there's not any college lifestyle there. You know, they were a former D2 school. I think a lot of people in Utah still think of them like that. Yeah. And they don't pay their coaches anything, right? right. Well, the, but the advantages are you're in Utah where there's great prep football. Mm-hmm. You got you got this whole LDS missionary thing that you could take advantage of. So that's what Lamb did. He said, okay, because he's got BYU ties, and that's where he was at most recently before right. he came back to Northern Colorado. And he said, hey, we're going to – so a lot of people don't know this. At BYU – a lot of times they sign a whole class of guys and then they encourage and almost they really want you to go on your mission right mission, away. Yeah. You redshirt a year and then you go on your mission when you're 19. Then they have an ability to sort of evaluate you and then make a plan for later on. And some guys they invite back, some guys they don't invite back because they got a chance to see them for a year. Well, all the guys that they didn't invite back, Ed Land went out and got all those guys. <laughs> and so like that 2015 Southern Utah team, I think they had something like 13 guys that were from the class of 2009. So they had all these guys that had graduated high school six, seven, eight years earlier, and they rolled and they won the Big Sky Conference Championship. So he he knows how to do that. He knows how to identify advantages and disadvantages. The problem no with them, yeah, I mean, yeah. The problem though at Northern Colorado is, at least to this point, no one has really been able to find what the advantages are. Yeah. I mean, I mean, everybody in the league has tasted some semblance of success since Northern Colorado joined the league in 2006, except Northern Colorado. Like they, they had, a, I guess, t- two winning seasons under Ernest Collins when they were like six and five both years, but they have come nowhere close to making the playoffs, nowhere close to winning the league championship. And like the reasons for that have always been perplexing to me. Uh, first of all, I don't know why this is, but like, High school football in Colorado is just not that good. It's it's so weird, right. and and the and the the prospects that are coming out of there that are really good, they go to like these these feeder academies. They go to the Valor Christians of the world or the the Highland Ranches, the Cherry Creeks, these big 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 schools, and they're all going to the SEC or the Pac twelve. There no there's no one like falling through the cracks. Mm-hmm. So that part's always been weird. I think that's why you've seen especially over the last 20 years, Colorado, Colorado State struggle as well. Some of the best guys in state are leaving. Right. But, but to answer your question, I mean, Northern Colorado is going to be well coached because it's not just Coach Lamb there. I mean, Dust, Justin Waltershads, who's their uh, special teams coordinator, he's a guy that has deep uh, Big Sky Conference ties. He was at Southern Utah both under Coach Lamb and under Demario Warren. Uh, Aaron Fernandez, their defensive line coach, has been with Coach Lamb for a really long time. They got some other guys on the staff that have played in the big sky. So, I mean, that's one wholesale change for Northern Colorado. I mean, they were the worst run program in the league the last couple of years because yeah. Ed McCaffrey just didn't even care. I mean, the stories out of there were outrageous. Like when I heard yeah. of the big sky kickoff, the half their coaching staff didn't even live in Greeley because oh, wow. these guys had like day jobs in Denver and they were just coming to practice like at 3.30 in the afternoon, like it's high school football or something. It's like, what? Wow. 
it's actually amazing that they won any. I think they won three games last year. It's like amazing yeah. that they won any games by by doing that. Like when you're going against other D1 schools where everybody's doing it full time. So that just the dedication of the coaching staff is going to be a huge jump for Northern Colorado. The, the, their biggest problem, I mean, they've been actually playing pretty good defense yeah. so far, especially you know in Big Sky Conference play. Uh, they've been holding teams relatively you know in, in check. I mean, you talk about holding Sac State to 21. You know, hold, holding Weber. I mean, I guess two of those Weber scores were defensive touchdowns. Yeah. So you've been decent defensively. They just haven't been able to figure out a way to score any points, and they haven't yeah. been able to w- figure out a way to, to to take care of the ball either. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess like the 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 pessimist in you could say, well, a zero win team is this the time where they come? This is their Super Bowl. They knock off Montana. I mean, if Montana takes care of the football and they don't turn the ball over, I I can't imagine there's going to be any 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 realm of possibility where they're going to come into Missoula and get a win. Yeah. yeah. Well, then they're 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 ranked for uh, Big Side Conference. You know, they're last in scoring offense, number ten in the rushing, and eight eight in passing. So the, a lot of that offense is, is is the middle of the pack or the bottom of the pack. And they, from when I was doing this, looking up some of the research. They were second most in, in uh, interceptions, which they were just behind us. And that was before the um, Montana State game finished up. But uh, that's interesting to see their defense taking away the ball. But they haven't really been doing that either on the offensive side. They've been given the way of the ball as well with uh, Jacob Sermon just throwing the ball seven interceptions this year and eight touchdowns. Yeah. He don't like no. getting hit too often. No, no. Like he just like he's always sliding down. I mean, I mean, they just watched the Weaver game, but he looks at his first read and that's about it. And then um, he didn't like getting hit. So if we can get pressure on him, I really think we can make it a long day for him. Yeah, yeah it's. I mean, it's fascinating too. I don't know how many of your listeners know this whole deal, but Jacob Sermon is the son of David Sermon, who played at Montana. He was a linebacker on the '95 national championship team. Mm-hmm. Another sermon brother also played at Montana. There's, there's sermons all over the place yeah. in college football. The sermons that played at, at Montana recently, Cy Sermon and, and those guys, they're his cousins, Jacob Sermon's cousins. Right. But I know that when Jacob Sermon was first leaving Washington, he was very interested in coming to Montana. They didn't have a spot for him. And so he ends up at Central Michi- Michigan with Jim McElwain. That doesn't work out. So then he matriculates his way to Greeley. But, uh, but make no mistake, he's a familiar guy to the coaching staff, and because they didn't take him, I know they're going to want to not let him beat them, and I know they're going to want to <laughs> – I know they're going to really want to, to bring yeah. it. And that's the thing. The Grizz pass rush is their whole – it's the whole key to everything because yeah. w- if you run this scheme, mm-hmm. you got to get heat on the quarterback. When you yep. don't, the scheme is totally vulnerable to getting picked apart. Yep. When you do – then, I mean, like Coach Alk says, some of the yardage stuff or whatever is just, it's just empty calories. Right. You got to get heat on the quarterback. You got to hit him. If you can get heat on Giovanni McCoy, who runs around crazy, you're definitely going to be able to get heat on Jacob Sermon. Yeah, I would, I would sure hope so. You know, after, after, yeah. after we did it in Idaho. So, well, and it was crazy too because, you know, we hadn't had any pressure on anybody for a while. And then all of a sudden, the Idaho game, six sacks. What do you kind of, what do you kind of relate, relate that to, Coulter? Is that just scheme? Is that is that effort? Is that what we were kind of trying to show and not show too much? Or what, what was that? Well, I think there's several factors in there. I mean, I think one, um, the 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 injuries up front have been well chronicled, but yeah. 
Uh, I, I, some of them I don't think people really know about. I mean, first of all, they had no D tackles besides Alex Gunner. I mean, they're yeah. playing their backup tight end for Christ's sake on yeah. the, as the backup defensive tackle. Like that's that's how thin they were up there. So getting Noah Cashmitter back just so he can get in the fold a little bit, getting Kellen Dietrich back. Those guys are still on, on their way up to becoming true impact players, but even just being able to play 10, 12 snaps each lets it so the big man, Gubner, yeah. can get a little more gas in the tank. That helps for sure. Um, but Kale Edwards, he's been playing on a bum ankle, and he's tough as nails, so he didn't want anybody to know that, but he's definitely been getting tons of rehab, and I think he's back to full strength, so I think that helps as well. I also think, though, they were doing some stuff schematically. Like, UC Davis – Coach Houck bit my head off at the press conference after UC Davis. But <laughs> and I, I know I was right. Like, I asked him about bringing less pressure with their inside guys. He's like, I would say that's incorrect. And I'm like, well, I know it's not. But I know what All you're right. doing because you don't want – you don't want people to know that that's what you were doing. Yeah. But then they went back to full-on bringing pressure with their inside guys. And I think that those guys are are figuring it out a little bit as well. I mean, I think yeah, we, we agree with you, Coulter. We, yeah, I we, mean, we said that on our podcast too. We're yeah, like, oh, I mean, yeah, we agree with you. <laughs> the Davis game, they were they were letting their guys roam around and make tackles in space, and that's what you should do against that offense, right? You should yeah. let your guys run around and make tackles in space. So it's good coaching for sure. Um, the other part, though, is like I, th- I mean, I still think that their their number one personnel deficiency is like everybody talks about all the pressure that they bring. And even though they only run a three-man front, it, it's a four-man front with that outside edge guy yeah. that they run. Janicaro is a great linebacker. He can hand fight, and he's so good at getting off blocks and making tackles in the box. But he's, he doesn't really have, like, that bend that you need right. as an outside guy. You need guy. his defensive end kind of right. linebacker, yeah. Right, and that's where O'Connell was so versatile because O'Connell can play that spot. He can bump out and cover the receiver, but he can also come off the edge. He's the best pass rusher they've had in the last five years. So I, I just think that that's still a spot that they're still kind of lacking just in terms of personnel. I always thought they should just bump Kale Edwards out to that spot and bring yeah. another bigger body in there at the DN spot. I, yeah. I just think that – Edward. I've said this on my radio show several times. I think Edwards is one of the best NFL prospects on the team. I don't think he has the mass yet, but, I mean, he runs better than anybody on their defense, period. He, I think fans would be surprised. He's like the single fastest guy on their defense. Like he's faster than – he's as fast as the corners, and he's faster than everybody else. He – Wow. He runs really, really, really well. And I just think, and he's tough, but I just think having him crash in and stunt and do all this stuff where he's just eating up blocks, I just think it's wasting his talent off the edge. Right. I, I just wish they would put him in a bigger, a, a better spot to, to wreak havoc there. But, but either way, I think that the pass rush has come from regaining some bodies, regaining some depth. And I also think they were hiding a lot of stuff to then unleash it on Idaho. And I think they did a good job to get to that point. Yeah. I'd love to see Kale out there in that pat o'connell position i think that would be i never thought about that but man i didn't know his speed but you say that and i'm like man that would be yeah. awesome to see well, him out there he's six five he's got long yeah. levers like mm-hmm. he's he's got the i i think he's a poor man's daniel hardy mm-hmm. daniel hardy played dn yeah. for the cats yeah. hardy was this tweener he was kind of floating around and then vegan got there and they're like we're running a four-man front we're putting you at the end he has 17 and a half sacks and now he's playing the nfl right. I, I just think that edwards is in that same vein yeah what do you think of like Riley Wilson playing that spot? Because you know, I think he's kind of um, learning the system a little bit, and, and then he got hurt, so that kind of slowed yeah. his process up yeah. as well. I think he has so much talent too that it just to kind of unleash that um, would be something that we could do as well in that spot too. But, I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because that that's another reason getting him back. I mean, he he is the yeah. guy that has the the juice off the edge that you need. I mean, he, he's the yeah. guy that's got that motor. He's fast. He's not as big as O'Connell, but but he he runs really well. Yeah, I mean, he, 
he's just had a hell of a time staying healthy throughout his career. Yeah. I mean, he was he was hurt up. He had a head injury and a foot and an ankle injury at the same time. Yeah. So, I mean, he was just kind of swimming and he hadn't got the reps. But I do think having him back helps a lot too. Well, I don't think yeah. we've even come close to seeing his best game yet. No, no, he's only a sophomore too. I think yeah. people forget that they've been That's bringing right. it. Most of their transfers they bring in are, are older guys. He has several years left, so I, I think he has a lot of upside. So, you know, looking at Northern Colorado, you know, what would, Luke, what would your keys of the game be? And then also, Coulter, what would you say those keys of the game? I know probably not uh, <laughs> turning the ball over uh, and giving them extra possessions where um, that could hurt us, but what else would you think is the keys of the game? Well, I know, like, I'm watching them, I, I mainly just watched the Weber film, but they really like that quick play offense, which we've struggled with a little bit at times. So we are to make sure we get lined up quick on defense. Um, I also noticed they like to go, like, spread them out five wide, or they'll go, like, max protection, bring everybody in the box, and then try to make make us man up on their their, uh, their wide receivers. So um, I, I really think if we get pressure, though, on their offense and get pressure on the quarterback and just hit them a bunch, it's going to be a long day and they're going to have a hard time putting points up against us. Yeah. But I, I just think you got to just believe in all the momentum you built and just carry mm-hmm. that. I mean, yeah. Montana's going to be better across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Colorado's struggling. You know, they have a lot, of, they have, there's several pro- problems you could have as a program. They have all of them. <laughs> they're, <laughs> They're in, they're, in, they're in the rebuilding phase. Right. They, they have a talent deficiency. They don't have a coaching deficiency anymore, so that, that's a good thing. Oh, Lamb's yeah. good, yeah. And I think they – I don't I don't think they have an effort problem anymore because that comes from coaching. But, I, I mean, they have so many disadvantages, it's going to be tough to build it there because I – mean, I don't know. I could go on a rant about this. They just should be Division two. They just they – yeah. they are a Division two football when, program. When Glenn was there, that's when they were so good, back when Joe was there that's before right. he came here. and. They won championships and stuff. They were yep. a great Division two school, and it's just – it's got to be hard down there in stinky Greeley. Um, <laughs> For you know, sure. When you're trying to <laughs> out-recruit like your Colorado's, Colorado State's or – you know, Well, that's just going to get even harder with just, Prime there too. I mean, yeah. For sure. Yeah, it's just you got all that, and it's just – it's got to be hard for them. So, and then like this year, th- I think about it too. We're talking about coming to Washington Grizzly. Us, how our, our team got up last week going in, going against Idaho, how will they react coming to Washington Grizzly when everybody's going to be nuts and excited for the Grizz to be back, and especially yeah. after the big Idaho win? So we'll see what that does to that team too. I mean, well, I, don't, I don't think Northern Colorado will be able to block Montana, so you just got to keep the pass rush rolling. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't think they'll be able to match up with them on the perimeter yeah. when Montana has the ball, so you just got to keep giving your play. I mean, that was the one that was so frustrating about the Grizz for most of last year and like the whole first month of this year was – Junior Bergen, Aaron Fonts, Eli Gilman, and Keelan White are just better than every guy they're going to yep. go against. They're just better. Yep. I mean, Idaho has a great corner, and like when they play the Cats, they have some guys that can match up. But like in the big sky, by and large, the guys that are guarding those guys can't guard them. <laughs> they can't guard them. Yeah. So just get on the ball. That's it. And they finally figured that out. Like against Idaho, they weren't running much of nothing. They were just snapping, clipping the ball, and you run around a little bit. Okay, there's Keelan White. Boom, hit him. Yeah. And it's going to be the same thing with Northern Colorado. Just don't make it too complicated. Just get your guys the ball in space and just let it rip. Yeah, I agree. Coulter, I have a question for you because, you know, I, I feel like the last couple of years when the Grizz have played down to opponents, do you think we mm. played like, – like I feel like going to California, we always would play down in a certain way, maybe to Cal Poly in, in the earlier ages – 
but just those games where we we play down to those opponents. Um, do you feel like we still do that? Is that something that you see happening more often than not, or is that something I'm just reading into? <laughs> that's, that's so interesting too, because like these last two games, those have been like the first two games of Bobby Houck's whole career. Yeah, where his team is the underdog by the point spread and the national narrative and the rankings. Like the Grizz are never dogs. <laughs> That's not a thing under Coach Houck, and they they have been. And I think that he was like uh, he used that as full motivation. Hey guys, we're going to go play the number three team in the country. Let's go prove that they're not the number three team in the country. Let's go. I mean, like yeah. he said all week last week. The only reason people thought Idaho was good because they beat Montana. He's yeah. he's so funny when he talks starts talking smack like that. But uh, anyways, um, I do think sometimes they have an issue with that. But I think it's very rare that it happens at home. Yeah. Uh, so I, 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 I don't know. I, that's the other part is that you talk about Montana almost always has an advantage in the kick game. They're yeah. going to have such a profound advantage in the kick game in, in, on Saturday. So that's another yeah. place I think they can really dominate. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it, pretty cool. That I mean, the, the end of the season, we finished out with three home games. I mean, I can't really believe that happened. And, it, and it's against, you know, your Sac States, your, the Cats, uh, in Northern Colorado. But, I mean, it's – that's huge for us compared to some of these other schedules. Like I think about the cats right now, they just were on the road to sack. Now they're going on the road to Idaho. I'm glad we don't, I mean, we did just run two road games, but that's, it's much more better schedule for us right now going forward. I think. Oh, well, they, the, the cats have a horrible schedule down the stretch. Like they have some really tough games. <laughs> yeah. They, actually, they haven't played anybody to up to this point, except for Sac state, but you know, they're going to actually have to play some people now. You know, in South Dakota State, yes, they that was a huge win or, or huge loss. Sorry, a huge loss, but I, I don't think that they played up to the potential of other other teams in the Big Sky. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how the way the schedules have worked out. I mean, October has been the month of doom for Montana for for yeah. well, I mean for a long time. That's when it yeah. all. I mean, that's when it all unraveled in 2018. Which when it all unraveled last year, yep. I mean, I bet you that they've been below 500 in the month of October since how it came back, and they were always bad in October with Stitt too. Mm-hmm. So weird. Uh, but now look at them now. If they win on Saturday, they have an undefeated October, and they're right. gonna go. I mean, how how crazy is it gonna be when this team wins more games than last year's team? Right. When we had they're gonna. Yeah, they're, they're gonna. They're gonna, win, they're gonna win eight. They're gonna win eight games for sure during the regular season, and they might win nine or ten. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, after, especially yeah. after last year, and the expectations were like you said at the beginning, so high. We all—I mean, I thought that too, and it was just—that's why it felt like such a letdown. But such a letdown. Year, it's like, man, I mean, the sky's the limit right now. You know, uh, Coulter, assuming that we win, right? Assuming that we win uh, this game, and you know, we make it to the playoffs. You know, how far do you see this team going? How far Man, you know, could we could we get a seed? Could we well, get it's such a fascinating question because so much of so much of all of this that we've talked about and so much of the freak out after the NAU, NAU game and all of that, it's all colored by one thing. That the cats are the the best or second best team in the country and that right. they are having that they have their best roster. I don't know. I've covered the cats for 13 years now. It's the best team I've ever covered that they've had for sure. And they don't have the top-end talent like the Troy Andersons and Daniel Hardys of the world, but, I mean, they just have such an absurd amount of depth. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're rolling right now without their two starting guards, 
their starting running back, their second string running back. They're, all their best receivers have been out at some point this year. They didn't have their best tight end on Saturday. They didn't have their best linebacker. He dislocated his elbow three weeks oh, yeah. into the game. I mean, it doesn't matter. The next guy up there just rolled. They're so deep. Yeah, That's colored this whole thing. That's going to be the other part about this, right? Because if I was a betting man, I think Montana's going to roll over Colorado. And I think they'll beat Sac State under the lights at home because I think the crowd will just be so crazy. Yeah, Portland State's actually be tougher than people think, but they, they, are. Laid a, yeah. they laid a complete egg on Saturday because I think Barney was already looking down the road to the Montana game and saying, hey, we yeah. can get to 5-1 and one in league. We could play Montana for something. And then they go, you know, they just go blow it against Idaho State, yeah. who, by the way, is better. But regardless, um, I think the Grizz have a real shot of being 9-1 and one going to the rivalry game. Yeah. And then they think they have a real shot of getting their asses kicked at home in the rivalry game. How do you respond to that? Also, yeah. though, if they are 9-1 and and the Cats are 9-1 and going to the rivalry game, then throw it all out the window. Because yeah. Bobby Houck will throw the absolute kitchen sink at the Cats. They will do whatever they can. Right. I, I mean, I think the biggest nightmare for the Cats is if South Dakota State loses and they get number one in the country the week oh, or two weeks gosh. before they come to Washington Grizzly Stadium – because then it's going to be like – I mean, it's going to be an insane asylum at Washington Grizzly yeah. Stadium. Oh, yeah. Like the last time they were number one in the country and we went in there. It was in both Smoked them. Yeah, smoked them. Yeah. Smoked them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, 36 to 10. I'll never forget it. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. So that's the whole thing is like how deep can this team go? If they play their cards right, though, and they get the right – here's the here's what I actually think. I think that the FCS isn't very good anymore. No. I yeah. think that it's it's the big sky and the Missouri Valley, and that's it. Yeah, I agree. So if you get the right draw, you know, I mean, I think Montana's playing tougher teams right now than they would have to play in the playoffs, right? Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. I think Idaho and Sac State, Montana State, are better than anybody that they would draw in the second round or the quarters. So then it's just all about how do you get the right seating. If the, if the Grizz can get to nine and one before the Cacarys game, and I think they're inside track, if not certainly going to get a seed, no matter what happens with the Cats. Yeah. And if you get a seed, you get a first round by, and you get at least one home game, boom, you're into the quarterfinals, and then you just got to go win one time, one and then you're in the final four, and now all of a sudden your season is exactly what the standard at Montana is, and it's a success. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's, it's so weird just because, you know, you've got the two teams that are legitimately title contenders in Sac uh, South Dakota State and Montana State. And then, you know, you see North Dakota State, get beat by 20 some points and the team that beats them goes and lays an egg and loses by 27 to, you know, in Northern Iowa. Yeah. And so you just don't know what's going to happen in these leagues with the Missouri Valley and oh. also the big sky. This week, it'll be interesting because you got USD and South Dakota state playing. So, yeah, um, I mean, I still think South Dakota state was going to, is going to beat the Yotes, but you never know. I mean, you never know what could happen with that game. So, yeah, definitely. So, you know, uh, we have a couple questions on uh, for fan questions on egress and stuff. Uh, one of them you mentioned, uh, Coulter, uh, Michael Kemper says uh, he wants to know how awkward it can get in a press room when Bobby goes off. And I think he was referring to when he went off on you, even though you were right. How awkward is it? Is it is it awkward? Do other people kind of like look at you like, oh man, stay strong or <laughs> this is actually so funny. Cause now it's to the point where it's like it's not really awkward. <laughs> just because so often 
in in the Montana media, the the print guys are around for a long time, but the TV guys are like every two years and they just leave. Right. Well, right now in Missoula, there's several TV guys that are like veterans. I mean, Sean and Kyle are two of my good buddies because oh, yeah. they, you know, they've been around forever. We've been doing this yeah. together for a long time. I think Kyle's on year five in TV and year eight covering the Grizz, and, and Sean's, you know, he's only a couple years younger than me. I think he's in year 11 or whatever. Right. And I've covered Coach Houck every season of his career. My first season ever covering the Big Sky for the Montana Kaiman was my junior year at uh, Montana, and Coach Houck, that was 2006 yeah. when Coach Houck was the coach. So I've covered every, every one of his seasons. So now I think we just kind of know. We just kind of expect it, you know. And that's the thing is, like, before the presser starts and after it ends – He's just like charming Bobby Houck. How's it going? What'd you guys do this weekend? What's going on? You know, I'm like, whenever he rips my head off, then afterwards he'll come up and be like, yeah, you know, I had to give you hell, you know, like yeah. he's, it's just a thing. It's a persona. I truly don't know if he, I think he thinks that the Monday pressers are the only thing that the other team can watch. Right. <laughs> and then like, and then, and then he thinks that like the coaches show with Riley is like <laughs> no one watches. It's only on the radio in Missoula during that time, so no one can find it. Like he okay. doesn't know it's podcasted, and like Podcast. everybody can yeah, everybody listen to it. Yeah, because you know I haven't had enough, as much time this year, but I used to go get him before right. practice on Wednesdays. I remember, and that. he'd be great. You know, he, he he told me, "Hey, you you come prepared. If you have five questions, I'll give you six minutes. Yeah. So we can get it done." And so I'd go, and we did you know five questions with Coach Alk every Wednesday, and he would always be just fine. And it's just so funny. He like thinks he has to flex on everybody at these Monday pressers. Yeah. It's just classic. Well, it is very classic. <laughs> I, I'm I'm get to be I'm in the QB club and not the same person at all. I mean, exactly. It's like, you know, it's like who's this guy? You know. No, yeah. totally. So, uh, you know, the other one that I think we kind of covered on here as well, um, the proud Grizz man on E Grizz um, says. Uh, thank you for doing these interviews, uh, Coulter. Thank you for what you do um, for Grizz Nation and um, all the coverage that you do. I'm curious if Coulter will go into this again and maybe a little deeper. Um, uh, the changes and the adjustments we've went, went over the offensive line. We've gone over. Uh, sorry, just reading through here. Um, he wants to know if the changes in the coaching staff of the offensive line, if that has paid dividends or if it hasn't really made any, any momentum into the right direction with, interesting. you know, having those two coaches there. Yeah. Interesting question. If people want to know what I'm looking at over here. I got the Vikings 49ers game on. Oh, sure. I, I was uh, the only the only thing I have fandom left in the whole world, because I've always prided myself on being this objective journalist, and and people always ask me, you know, who are you rooting for? And I always say I'm only rooting for the good stories. Like it doesn't matter to me who wins or loses. I just like the stories. I mean, if it's up to me. I, I want all the kids to do good, right? I said that after the Idaho Montana game. I said it's a shame somebody has to lose that game because that game was an awesome game yeah, where everybody awesome. laid it all out there. They put their heart on their sleeves, you know. So I'm always just rooting for the good stories. The one piece of fandom I got left is for the stupid Minnesota Vikings. And it's just like I've been trying to get divorced for like five years, and I just can't. And several of my best friends uh, are Niners fans. And so I watch the Niners all the time because that's who the, the guys, the, the two guys I watch football with the most, they're huge Niners fans. So I'm always watching the Niners. And so I was like, okay, this is going to be the night. 
I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna be officially become a Niners fan when the Niners <laughs> go into Minnesota and just rip the Vikings to shreds. Right. And then, of course, because I'm a complete degenerate loser, instead I went to the betting machine right before this game and bet the Vikings plus six and a half and bet the Vikings to win plus the under. And now here I am, and I'm only six minutes away from winning both my bets, and I can't get divorced. I'm still going to be a Vikings fan. <laughs> so pathetic. I hadn't checked the score. And I'm like, oh, boy. God, yeah. I know. I was like, oh, this is Coach Marty's fault because during our segment today, I we asked him about the deal, and he was like, hey, I think the Niners are one of the best teams in the NFL, but he's like, Minnesota is going to be playing out of their minds at home Monday Night Football. He's like, I think the Vikings are going to cover. So, of course, I went to the machine and bet 20 bucks on the Vikings to cover. Anyways, I digress. Uh, the co-offensive line stuff. It's This is a really hard question for me to analyze because this time of year, my show, my Nuana's Now show is on from four to six. Yeah. So they're practicing. Right when I'm on the air. So I can't ever go watch them practice. I, as a former offensive lineman, I thought the fact that they were going to have co-offensive line coaches was not a good idea. Yeah, I agree. Cause I just think that like having the continuity and mm-hmm. the brotherhood and just like Luke knows this, the best offensive lines are the ones that are one unit. That it's, yeah. it's, it's one, one unit. Together. They're just everything yeah. together. Yeah. And yeah. so I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's paid dividends or not. I will say their offensive line's playing better. Let's go, Vikings pick. Uh <laughs> they're playing better for sure than they were earlier in the year. I don't know if they're fully living up to their potential or not yet. I think it's all TBD. Um I don't know, it's a tough one, man, because I, I just think that goes all the way back to like one of your first questions, Adam, when it yeah. comes to like how do you get into the new age? I just think that, like, and this is nothing against Montana's current coaching staff. They got a lot of guys on there that have a ton of football experience. They're really awesome, whatever. I just think that you could go. I mean, the Cats lose their offensive line coach last offseason, right? Brian mm-hmm. Armstrong goes to Fresno yep. State. He's one of the most popular guys in the whole program. He's recruited Montana really well. He's one of the best offensive line coaches in the league. Who do they go replace him with? Dude from Wisconsin who played in the NFL. Like, you could just get these elite coaches. And I'm not, and, and uh, Chad Germer, I love Chad Germer. I, yeah, you one too. of my. One of my first features I ever wrote on the Grizz football team was about Coach Germer when I was a kid. And, you know, I've covered his kids in high school. And, you know, I, I you know, on a personal level, he's the man. I, I love yeah. hanging out with him and all that sort of stuff. And Rob Fennessy, same thing. I've known Coach Fenn forever. I just think that you can get like these top tier elite young coaches to come yeah. here. And I, I, you know, so I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I guess the answer to that question is TBD. Yeah. 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 It, and it's interesting because not a lot of uh, teams do that, right? There's only a, a handful that kind of have that, um, that that dual coach and just that communication as well is just kind of odd too. So yeah. uh, we'll see going down the the line of what happens uh, with that. But uh, Luke, do you have any other questions? That's the only fan questions I had. Do you have any other questions? I was just going to say whatever they're doing right now is working because they got fire <laughs> under that offensive line in there. I don't know if it's – I mean, I know Chad can get after your ass because I've seen it. Um, but I don't know if it's the both of them together or what, but it, they've got those guys playing the right way and they're, 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 uh, doing a little Dola stuff now. So yeah, I didn't have any other questions or anything on my end. So, okay. That's one, that's one interesting observation I'd give you is that the, uh, you know, the playing with your hair on fire, the, you know, lighting a fire under their asses, all that stuff. I think that that's how so much, so many of us like grew up playing football right. and like the ethos that we believe to be true. 
usually when I'm at games, I, I, I'm up in the press box. My photographers are on the sidelines, but both Idaho and Sac state have really small press boxes. So they only yeah, have once they only had one seat for us for, for skyline. So I let at the Idaho game, I let Andrew Houghton sit up top and I was down on the sidelines. And then during the Sac state game, I let Tom Stuber sit up top and I went down the sidelines. So I got to be on the sidelines for back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. First of all, what a dichotomy between the, Grizz sidelines and the cat sidelines and just like the way that they do stuff. Granted, the Grizz game was a little bit different because they're right in front of the student section. So right. it's, you know, more expletives than you could ever even <laughs> imagine. And, and you know, they're going back and forth. So all that. So that, that's a little bit of a skewed analysis. But the coaching style, the way they get them fired up and all that, it's so based on, you know, fire and brimstone. We're going to just knock their asses into the dirt and blah, blah, blah. That's great. And I think that's old school. That's how I learned how to play football. That's how my high school coaches were like. So I totally understand that part. The Cats was fascinating. Their offensive line's just sitting around just jolly as all hell. Like they're just, there's no like, oh, we're going to go beat their asses. They're just like, hey, what have you been seeing out there? Oh, you're seeing this. I'm seeing this. All right, cool. We're going to make this adjustment. We're going to do this. It's like very, very, very scientific. But like they don't ride this roller coaster. It's not like, oh, man, we just got beat there. Man, we got you. You got to get back up and go do it. It's just like, yep. We're good. We're gonna go execute again, and we're gonna. It's just amazing the way that they, the dichotomy. I'm not saying one is right or wrong right. or whatever. Yeah. It's just fascinating because, like, the cats, like their offensive linemen. Several of those guys are just like these big jolly nerds, right? They're just like <laughs> these engineering guys, yeah, right. but they just know how to execute so well. And I, I just think sometimes that can actually. I think sometimes riding the roller coaster emotional emotionally makes you exhausted. Yeah, and I think that that sometimes just being steady. Get you to places that you, you couldn't get otherwise. But again, I'm not saying one's better than the other. I just thought it was just striking how different it was. Yeah, it's interesting. You get to see that that difference between the two and see the styles yeah. and stuff. But yeah, very cool. Well, Coulter, uh, we bet on the game, so we won't let you do that because I know that you probably don't want to because of journalistic. Sure, but um, we're. We're t- all tied up three three because we we uh, eliminated the Ferris State game because we were totally wrong. Yeah, <laughs> we we were in the forties and uh, that game was not in the no. forty eight to twenty or forty eight to ten. So we threw that one out and now we're three three. So uh, what's your score, uh, Mister Luke? All right. So for this game, I've got the Grizz winning thirty five to thirteen. Thirty five thirteen. Okay. Uh, I have twenty eight seven. Nice. I like, so. I like the seven better. I, I I was the 13. I'm going, I don't know if they'll score that many points against us, but I always think you get some of those weird ass things where it's just a mistake or something. And, but um, I did run the, uh, so on our show, I, I've got the versus app. So we always run the computer simulation too, to see what they say. And so the versus app has the Grizz winning 31 to six. Huh? So, Interesting. Yeah. So uh, Coulter, uh, what have you and one and I haven't uh asked this, but you know, what is it with the Grizz that we can get a either a punter or a kicker, just freshman punters and kickers? The last couple of years it's been crazy, right? And Glasgow has come out of nowhere, um, where amazing, right? Where does that come from? Like, where do we where do we find these guys? Like, and I know where we found most of them are here, but where do we find Glasgow? Do you know? He's a transfer from Kansas, but I, yeah. I think that this is where Bobby Houck's special teams acumen and reputation precedes mm-hmm. him. I mean, 
Coach Houck, you, you can talk about all of his great points as a head coach, all of his flaws, and everything in between. It's undeniable that he is, I, I think, not only the greatest special – he's not just the best special teams coach in the conference and the country at this level – I would argue he's the greatest coach of special teams in the history of the Big Sky Conference. I mean, to like put this in comparison, if you were to make a list of the top 15 kick returners and the top 15 punt returners in the history of the league, mm-hmm. I'd say at least 10 each are Montana guys right. that coach oh, I yeah. I mean, the the I, I was I was I said this stat on the on the radio the other day. The the cats have had, I think two punt returns for touchdowns in the last 10 years. Oh, geez. And the, the Grizz have had at least two a year, every single year under Bobby Houck. Right. I mean, besides wow. Don, besides Dante Pettis, the best kick and punt returner in the history of college football is Rashad Petty. Coach mm-hmm. Houck, Coach Houck co- coached him at San Diego State. Yeah. You know, who are the best kick returners in Big Sky history? Tough Harris and Jefferson Heidelberger and Malik Flowers. Coach Houck coached them all. Who are the best punt returners? Tough Harris, Lavander Seegers, yeah. uh, Mark Mariani. Mariani's a great kicker turner, too. You yeah. know, I mean, Jerry Louis McGee, all these guys, Coach Howe coached them. Junior Bergen is in that list now. Coach yeah. Howe coached them. It's not just a coincidence. I mean, I, I think that uh, the other stat I had was that Coach Howe has had at least one kick and one punt return touchdowns every single season for 20 years in a row. And that's including Jeez. at UNLV and at San Diego State. So, wow. That itself, plus the way that, you know, I mean, the two leading scorers in the history of the Big Sky Conference, Dan Carpenter and Bernie McKnight, those are yeah. guys that Coach Hawk recruited, you know. I mean, one of my roommates in college, Tyson Johnson, he would have been the best punter in Big Sky history if he didn't think he was going to try to play receiver every single spring ball. <laughs> and he used to always make Coach Hawk let him run the 40, and he'd go run four or five and be like, let me play receiver. And then they'd be like, yeah, you can play receiver. So you wouldn't work out at punter at all during spring. <laughs> then you go back out there in the fall, and Coach Huck would be like, yeah, sorry, Tyson, you're the starting punter. You're the punter. <laughs> and he's like, but Coach, I want to catch passes. He's like, nope, you're the punter. Sorry, man. Uh, but anyways, I, I just think that it's a, it's a culture. And it's, you know, it's like last year uh, during fall camp, I asked him, I said, Coach, you, you lose Kevin Macias, who made, you know, 16, 17 field goals in a row. You lose. Um, I can't remember what where we were in that line. I guess you, you lost uh, Brian Buschini. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I was actually at Nebraska this weekend, and I forgot yeah. that he was there until they're like from Helena, right. Montana, and I was yeah. like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah." So I, you know, I asked, I said, "Coach, how are you going to replace these prolific kickers and punters?" He said, "Hey, all your years covered us. We were at a prominent kicker and punter." I said, "Nope." He said, "Next question." <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> so I was like, "All right, well, you're right. I mean, they're right." <laughs> last year they did have like a, they finally had a flaw in kicker. Nico Ramos was just uh, you know average last year, right. but. They addressed it, and boom. I mean, Glasgow's lights out, man. I mean, he oh, won yeah. that game at Idaho. That was one of the most underrated yeah. parts of that win. He was yeah. nails in that game. Oh, yeah. That ball was just booming off his foot. It was awesome. I mean, that 49-yarder, yeah, that, yeah. that 49-yarder, I was standing right below. It hit off the top of the wall. <laughs> the kid, it, like, smacked the wall. You could hear it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, the announcer was like, yeah, they don't have a net back there, but then – after that, they always they had something they had back one, there. Right. Yeah, well, there was, was one like... side that had a net, one side that didn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that thing could have gone a long ways. It was crazy. So, um, yeah, culture. I can't thank you enough for coming on our podcast here, man. Uh, it was great Absolutely. to to finally meet you, man, and and to, to be able to talk 
Grizz football with you. I uh, can't thank you enough for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate you guys for having me for sure. And uh, I do this all the time. So if anybody wants to check it out, skylandsportsmt.com. We got a daily podcast up there. And I also have my daily radio show, Nuanas Now, which uh, N-U-A-N-E-Z. You can search it. And uh, we podcast that every day too. So talk tons of Grizz stuff, tons of Big Sky stuff. But thanks for coming, having me on, guys. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Colter. It's awesome. And no matter where you're at, because like I said, like Adam's in Wyoming. I'm over in South Dakota right now. Yep. But because of the podcast, I listen to your show every yep. week and get yep. so more, more football and just content. And like, I can listen to high school football content. So I get all that still. I mean, it's, it's awesome. And it's just, yeah. it's so great that now we have that avail- availability to get all that stuff and just that constant contact and stuff, especially if we had to move away from Montana. So exactly. One of my favorite parts about this time of year is all the small school, high school football games and the bus trips. How yeah. about this one? Baker at Florence. Oh that's, my six, God. that's 600 miles. These guys are going to have to leave tomorrow to get oh, there by, by Friday. Crazy. That is crazy. And yeah. 600 miles on a bus. Is on like a bus, yeah. Is, is Florence <laughs> yeah. favored in that? They've been just killing it. Yeah, they're, they're killing it. They're, yeah. they're so good, man. They're, it's unbelievable what they got going down there yeah. right now. I mean, yeah. they must have every guy in the whole school out for football. I know. They got like it's, 50 kids out for football. It's a class B school. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, those guys yeah. are killing it down there. Yeah, Patrick Shane's a great coach. Yeah. That's uh I got a, uh, a friend of mine from high school's kid plays on there, Ari uh, McLaughlin. Ooh, one nice. he, he does awesome. So a little shout out to him. Sweet. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, All right, Colter. Thanks,